We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. We recorded this episode on Wednesday, May 24th, and man, you said the, the month of May seemed to have just flown by. Uh, I don't know if you have the f- same feeling that I did, but uh, it seemed like May just flew by for me. We were at the draft, and now we're like all the way in June with OTAs going on. But before we get to the subject of today's podcast, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. It's like you mentioned. I mean, May did fly by, and we're about four to five weeks removed from the NFL draft. OTAs are ongoing for the next couple of weeks until you kind of hit mid-June, where there's not really me anything going on. Before you know it, the Bears and several other teams around the league are going to be tweeting out when they're reporting a training camp. So football seems so close, yet so far away. Yeah, I, I know myself, like many Bears fans, are going to be just obsessing over any little clip we can get from Bears practices, any little Bear like report we can get from Bears OTAs, because I mean, right now it's it's in that awkward point of the off season where there's nothing going on. Like you said, teams aren't really active in terms of adding talent. Like, sure, um, I'm sure that the uh, the Bears are going to be active in the trade market and are probably going to sign a couple guys. Uh, before training camp kicks off, but we're really in that weird time where the only notable things that will be going on is like who is and who isn't showing up for voluntary OTA practices, which in the grand scheme of things probably doesn't mean a lot in, in the grand scheme of, of what's going on. So, um, yeah, other than that, like there's just not a ton to talk about there, but we, we can still talk about the 2023 NFL draft and kind of finish up recapping the draft there because you know we've because of some scheduling issues we haven't been able to really dig into i think the draft from you know a, a national football league level you know we talked about the draft from the bears perspective but in this being a draft podcast i think it'd be uh, a good idea for us to you know 
touch on some of the other teams in the draft, specifically the Bears rivals in the NFC North, because the Bears, um, you know, we talked about our thoughts on the Bears draft. We haven't really discussed how the other teams in the division did in the draft as well. So that's going to be the subject of today's podcast, going over the Lions draft, the Packers draft, and the Vikings draft. Before we dig into the draft classes themselves, you say just looking at the general landscape of these draft classes, how do you think the Bears draft stacks up to the Lions, the Packers, and the Vikings just before we get into it here? All four seem to be pretty equal for me simply because each of these teams was going through a bit of a transition phase this offseason. From the Bears' perspective, the goal was how do you continue to move on from the Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy era, fully cement yourself into the Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus era, which, again, they did that this offseason with the way that the franchise approached free agency as well as the NFL draft. You look at the lines, I mean – They made a handful of significant moves this offseason, most notably in the draft, where they surely believe that they've got four day one starters with their first four picks. Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell don't get enough credit for just how they approach the draft, even though you don't have to like some of their picks. And then from the Packers and Vikings perspective, I mean, Green Bay, it's no secret. Moving on from Aaron Rodgers, entering the Jordan Love era using whatever assets they got from that Rodgers to Jets trade to build around Jordan Love. And then you look at the Vikings. I mean, they gutted the roster this offseason. There's still some talent there, but it's not going to be that competitive a team. And the Vikings are basically telling us, hey, look, we believe we have a roster that is good enough to compete, and we're going to stick with the guys that we have. But we also know we need to look towards the future at some point. Yeah, this was let's start with the Lions here because this is one of the most fascinating drafts in the entire draft cycle here because you know, you can look at it in the standpoint of the, I I do think the Lions did get you know, four early contributors in this year's draft class when you look at all the draft picks they had, but in my opinion, I don't know, at least in my opinion, um it, this draft really felt like a missed opportunity for the Lions for a variety of reasons. So let's go over their draft picks here because um, they had, I'm counting them right now, they had eight total picks, um, a lot of front-loaded picks in terms of most of their picks were in the first three rounds. Um, when you look at it, they had six picks in the first three rounds, only two picks on day three. You know, they had two first-round picks as a result of the Matthew Stafford trade still. Um and they started off with a top 10 pick. They ended up trading down uh, to get Jameer Gibbs running back out of Alabama. With their second first round selection, they got linebacker Jack Campbell out of Iowa. In the second round, uh, they had they started off the day with three second round picks. They ended up trading back to get, you know, to get out of the second round with one of those picks. But with their first of two second round picks, they got Sam Laporta, tight end, doubling down on Iowa players here. Um, then they got Brian Branch. They actually traded up for Brian Branch, defensive back out of Alabama. Um, in the third round, quarterback Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. And then later on at the end of the third round, they traded up for defensive tackle Broderick Martin out of Western Kentucky. And then on day three, fifth round, they got Colby Sorsdal, offensive lineman off William & Mary. Um, and then the seventh round, Antoine Green, wide receiver out of North Carolina. So, this was just a very odd draft, you say, because I like a lot of the players they got. I hated 
the value. At least, well, I'll say this from a Bears fan. I love the value that the Lions got these players at because I think they got poor values on a lot of these draft picks. But from an objective standpoint, I did not like the value on a lot of these picks. What's kind of your take on, on these draft selections for the Lions? It was polarizing, and here's why. Because the Lions were one of the few teams where they were on the cusp of making the playoffs last season that – when you go into because let's just be realistic i mean detroit started the year one and six last year and then they were at a point where they were actually going into that week 18 matchup against the packers they'd been eliminated from the playoffs but they ruined the packers chances of making the playoffs and so you look at that i mean they were a borderline playoff team last year with the way that they played especially after the bye week now you look at this draft i mean with two first round picks six and 12 there was a lot more flexibility than a lot of people kind of anticipated the lines having you trade from six to 12 and then again you had the 18th overall pick to the 12th overall selection Jameer Gibbs I mean that's a guy where if we're going to be fully honest most people had Jameer Gibbs being a second round pick he's an incredibly talented prospect but again in terms of positional value where he's at just picking him inside the top 15 made no sense at all and then you get to jack campbell the linebacker from iowa and i love jack campbell i love sam laporta too the tight end from iowa coming out both guys that were my favorites but ultimately you know at 18 and 34 that's not necessarily the best value that you're getting right there now what makes the jameer gibbs selection so polarizing is the fact that the Lions went ahead and signed David Montgomery, who, again, is taking shots at the Bears, and rightfully so, because if you've watched the Bears over the last couple of years, you know that the, there's no fun when the Bears are not winning football games, okay? That's coming from people who cover the team, too, because it does get incredibly boring up in that Soldier Field press box at times. But getting back to it, I mean, I like Campbell and Laporta as individual players. I just don't like where the Lions went ahead and selected them in terms of draft value. Brad Campbell being the GM here. I'm sorry, Brad Holmes being the GM that he is, had he maybe traded down from 18 and then 34 again, you would have gotten a lot better value for guys like Campbell. No one really saw Campbell being a first-round pick in this class. I mean, Sam Laporta, a guy who a lot of people had as a late day two, early day three. In some mock drafts, I remember he was going in round four at points. And then Ryan Branch is the ultimate case of just he's an Alabama guy. He's talented, but he's probably going to get drafted higher than where he needs to. I will say this from a Detroit Lions perspective. I mean, this is a team that's committed to building through the draft. You look at, they drafted Aiden Hutchinson last year. They got James Houston in the sixth round. Kirby Joseph, another safety that the Lions drafted on day two or three last year. And now all of a sudden you're infusing those first four picks. It's very much going to be a draft heavy roster which, again, is completely fine because they've used the Matthew Stafford trade as an opportunity to really build in the long run here and not necessarily just patch a hole or two up here or there. Like, they're building a well-rounded roster. So on paper, it's a well-rounded roster, but the question is, do the results translate to the field? Yeah, my, my biggest thing with this Lions draft is that they really – it feels like a team that doesn't have a lot of self-awareness of – one, what their long-term needs are on this team, and two, where they're at as a team. Now, obviously, I think the Lions, we both agree that they are they're probably the best team in the division going into next year. But what's the ceiling of this team? What's the goal of this regime? Do they want to be content just winning the NFC North this year? 
or do they want to set themselves up to be long-term Super Bowl contenders? And if their goal is the latter, do they realistically think that they can do that with Jared Goff as their quarterback? And here's the thing with the Lions, you know, with all the draft capital they had, having two first-round picks, two second-round picks going into this draft, with one of those first-round picks being a top-ten pick, they had an opportunity to draft one of these top three or four quarterbacks in this draft, whether it was they, they weren't going to get Bryce Young because he was going number one overall, but they could have traded up, you know, into top three to at least select Anthony Richardson, who would have been the perfect, I think, quarterback to develop behind a Jared Goff in the short term um, and then take a chance on his upside because, look, they need a game-changing quarterback here. They have a chance to really set themselves up to be a long-term threat in the NFC for years to come. And Anthony Richardson would have been the home run uh, move to make if they wanted to do that. And, you know, they, they clearly think that they can compete with the roster they have right now for a Super Bowl. But look, they had a need at cornerback, which there were cornerbacks on the board. They could have gotten Christian Gonzalez at 12 overall instead of Jameer Gibbs. Um they had needs on the defensive line, which they could have addressed. There were a bunch of pass rushers that went off the board in the first round um, that they could have addressed. Like they could have gotten a collection Cansey in the first round um, with the 12th and the 18th pick. Uh, there were some guys in the second round they could have gotten on the defensive line to help them out here. Uh, instead, they go Jameer Gibbs, which, like you said, they signed David Montgomery in the offseason. I guess they want to have that one-two punch at running back, but they just proved last year that they could get incredible production of Jamal Williams, who is a replacement level running back. And he's like, he broke the, I think the franchise record in rushing touchdowns for them. So to go Jameer Gibbs, I get it. He's a different type of player. He's a weapon. He's an explosive player. I just think with how deep this running back class was, they could have gotten that guy later on in the draft. Um, they didn't need it. And look, Gibbs, it's not like he's Bijan Robinson here where he's, you know, by far clear cut, the best running back in this draft class and a guy who we're considering one of the best running back prospects to come out in years. Gibbs, he's a good prospect. He's not a first round running back prospect. In my opinion, he's just not, especially in the top 12. And then Jack Campbell, like he's like the perfect lines pick because you just know that Dan Campbell is looking at his chops. And when he's watching Jack Campbell tape, I mean, one, they might just be, you know, long lost, you know, relatives here, both having the last name Campbell, but Jack Campbell kind of fits that like stereotypical knee biting, kneecap biting mold that Dan Campbell has established in Detroit. But as a player, like he's going to be a starter right away. I I just don't see first round value. He's a day two guy for me. I actually like the Sam Laporta pick. And like, you can argue that he wasn't better than Michael Mayer who was on the board at tight end. So they, they got, they, you could argue that they reach for the worst tight end prospect, but I actually think Laporte is going to be a really productive player for them. So I actually don't mind that pick. And the Brian Branch pick I thought was a great pick on a value standpoint, but year one, where is he going to play? Because he's kind of like a slot safety hybrid, and they already have that guy in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who they signed in free agency. They have a couple other safeties on the roster that are pretty good. You know, they really needed an outside corner, I think, to solidify this group. They have a lot of good slot corners on the roster. They needed an outside corner, and they didn't address that really in the strats. You know, the Hendon Hooker pick in the third round, I thought that was okay, but it also it also kind of seems like a waste of a draft pick because Henning the Hooker is not the type of quarterback prospect that you see as being a long-term um, replacement and upgrade for Jared Goff. You hope that he's a Jared Goff-level player. And I, if the whole purpose of making a draft pick like that is to avoid 
you know, continuing that cycle of mediocre quarterbacks. And then the last pick I'll touch on here because I didn't watch their day three, day three picks, but Broderick Martin in the third round was just a complete reach and the trade up for a guy like that, you know, when there were better defensive tackles on the board. Um, I just, I just questioned what their thought process was. This was a, this was a draft for me. You said um, where I was really high on this Lions regime after their last two drafts where they just, they killed it in their last two drafts, in my opinion. This one, I'm really questioning what their thought process is as an organization. I'm questioning whether they have the right leadership there in Detroit because this could have been a franchise-altering draft for them, and it looks like it's going to be a franchise-altering draft in a wrong direction, not because they got bad players, but but because they had so much potential here with what they could have done, and they they squandered it, in my opinion. So uh, before we move on to the Packers draft here, you said, what grade are you giving this draft for the Lions? See, right now I would give it a low C just because when we look at where this Detroit Lions team is at, this is one of those classic cases where if I were to line up all 32 teams' drafts, the Lions would be right up there in terms of biggest boom or bust potential. This is a draft class that on paper just screams boom or bust potential to me because you are either with some of the players on this team. Like you're either getting, you know, a guy that is going to be a consistent home run threat and have, you know, eight to 900 receiving yards a season in a player like a Sam Laporta to a player like Jack Campbell, who's probably going to end up being a all pro or elite linebacker or just a borderline rotational guy like it's that type of draft for me and then when I look at Jameer Gibbs and Brian Branch the two Alabama guys again ultimately I mean the strategy there was kind of just hey we want an attractive big play explosive playmaker with Jameer Gibbs to pair up with guys like Amon Ross St. Brown and Jameson Williams look that's a pretty good strategy right there but again you could have gotten that home run hitter at the running back position on day two or three and then brian branch again he's going to be a guy that's either in three to five years when we look back at this draft class a guy who is the unquestioned leader of the line secondary or probably going to be on his second team third team by then we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, for me, I'm giving them a preliminary D grade, and it's because this was just a complete butchering in terms of positional value and draft value. You know, you, you draft the two least important positional position, <laughs> positions, I guess, on, on either side of the ball 
You look at running back and linebacker in the first round. You don't address key needs on this roster that are going to be needs for them moving forward. You know, they don't take advantage of the of the draft capital they had. And in doing so, they also reach on a lot of guys who they did not need to take as early as they did. So this was a masterclass in how not to run a draft when you have this when you have the resources that the Lions had available to them in the position that the Lions were as a franchise. Again, like I said, this is going to be a tipping point for them in their franchise. And we're going to be looking back at this draft, I think, for the Lions. And I think they're going to get some good players out of this draft. I really do. I'm not saying it's a complete failure. Like, all four of the guys that they picked at the top in the first two rounds, I think, are going to start for them earlier rather than later. And I think they're all going to be solid pros. But in terms of like the missed opportunity here, it's a huge missed opportunity. And I'm not sure how Lions fans can justify some of these moves here because they could have done something truly special here. And instead I I'm left really looking, it's really underwhelming, I think. So that's going to be my grade for the Lions. Let's move on to the green Bay Packers who this felt like a, like a very prototypical Packers draft. Like if you could like conjure up a Packers draft, like the, the stereotypical Packers draft, this is it because they have a need at wide receiver and tight end. Desperate needs a wide receiver and tight end. And with their first pick, they go defensive line. Like, because that's just what the Packers do. They get the most athletic, um, you know, traitsy defensive line prospect they can get in the first round. And, hey, it's a strategy that's worked out for them in the past. Uh, but you look at their draft picks here. They had a lot of picks to work with. Uh, in the first round, getting Lucas Van Ness out of Iowa. Again, like I said, Traitsy has a lot of upside here, and they're really banking on the potential there with Lucas Van Ness. They had two second-round picks as a result of the Aaron Rodgers trade, and with those two second-round picks, they get tight end Luke Musgrave, wide receiver Jaden Reed out of Oregon State and Michigan State, respectively. In the third round, they get tight end Tucker Graft doubling down, or double-dipping, I should say, the tight end position. And then on day three, they had a lot of draft picks on day three. In the fourth round, getting Colby Wooden, defensive end out of Auburn. In the fifth round, getting Sean Clifford, quarterback out of Penn State, and Dontavian Wicks, wide receiver out of Virginia. And then the sixth round, Carl Brooks, defensive tackle out of Bowling Green. Anders Carlson, kicker out of Auburn. In the seventh round, they had four seventh-round picks. Carrington Valentine, defensive back out of Kentucky. Lou Nichols, running back out of Central Michigan. Anthony Johnson, defensive back out of Iowa State. And then Grant DeBow, wide receiver out of Charlotte. So a lot of draft picks here, a lot of guys to talk about. You said, what are some of your initial takeaways from this Packers draft? What are some of the things you liked about it? What are some of the things you didn't like about it? This is going to sound so biased coming from someone who covers the Bears, but if you ask me, I absolutely hated and I use that in a real strong context. I hated everything that the Packers did on draft night. And here's why. Well, first things first, I was texting back and forth with someone. And when the concept of, and the name Lucas Van Ness came up, he just so happens to be dating Cole Komet's sister. So a little bit of a rivalry that's going to be going on there. But I said that one of the two local Chicago area guys in offensive tackle, Peter Skaronsky or Lucas Van Ness, guys that have grown up in the Chicago land area, were going to end up in a Packers uniform. But when you look at Lucas Van Ness, I mean, they've got eight or nine first round picks on that 
Green Bay defense. There was absolutely zero need to go ahead and add another pass rusher into the mix. While I understand the whole concept, and I'm a big advocate of you can never have too many guys to get after the quarterback, that was more of a luxury pick than it was, hey, let's address an actual need. What really should have happened there is the Packers could have used the 13th overall pick to kind of trade back, recoup some more draft capital, pick up one of the wide receivers, because again, there's four of them that went off the board, right? With Jackson Smith and Jigba going 20th overall to the Seattle Seahawks. It just makes more sense for you to go ahead. And again, this was really the draft where, if we're going to be honest, this was the draft where it was finally time for the Packers to kind of reverse the curse and say we're moving on from the Ted Thompson, Ron Wolf way of drafting. We're going to go ahead and do things a the new way especially with Jordan Love you know Luke Musgrave again I'm indifferent on okay solid tight end but you can't convince me that he's gonna blow people away right he's not gonna be the major game changer that a lot of people kind of labeled him because his draft evaluations were really all over the place in terms of some people had him going day two other people said well he's more of a early day three guy so Luke Musgrave again is an unknown mystery big boomer bust potential Jaden Reed, I think at best is going to be a player who just ends up being a rotational guy, which again, that should fit right in with the Packers because they don't necessarily even have a number one wide receiver at this point. Like Christian Watson, while I was high on him coming out of North Dakota State two years ago, there's still a lot left to be desired with the Packers passing attacks going to look like. But, you know, there is opportunity there for a guy like Musgrave Reed or even the tight end Tucker Craft to make a difference. And you just look at everyone from Colby Wooden downwards. I mean, that's just all right there screams to me depth slash special team so this was a draft where I would give the Packers a d minus simply because they had the opportunity to make significant upgrades to the roster especially on the offense but again they just really failed to do so because if I'm being honest if I am an opposing offensive coordinator you're not giving me nightmares with a guy like Lucas Van Ness, who, again, let's be real, his projections too pre-draft were all over the place. Yeah, Van Ness is one of those players where if you value traits and upside, you're going to love him. If you value a guy who's produced um, at the college level, projected the NFL level, you're probably not going to like him as much. When you look at Van Ness, he's still very raw as a player. So this is a pick that I think – is they're they're thinking clearly two or three years down the road with this. And really this draft in general feels like a draft where they're thinking long-term rather than short-term here because Van Ness, he's a player that he's very a very similar prospect to Sean Gary in the sense that who the Packers remember they drafted him in the first round a few years ago where Gary was kind of seen as like a project with a lot of physical ability but didn't put up great production at Michigan. I think his production was a little bit better than Van Ness's, but, um, you know, different players as well. But uh, Van Ness, you know, he's kind of that guy who it's going to take him some time to really figure it out because Van Ness right now, he only has one pass remove and that's just pushing a guy into the, into the, into the pocket. Like he has no other pass rush move right now besides that long arm bull rush. So yeah, like that, that's definitely going to be a, a long-term projection. And then you look at day two. I actually like what they did on day two, to be honest with you. Um, like double dipping on Musgrave and Tucker Kraft, I think was smart because both those guys have different skill sets. Like Musgrave, yeah, I don't love Musgrave as a prospect, to be honest with you. Like I, I thought that was a little bit early for him, but the tight ends were running off the board at that, at that point in the draft. So you got to put that in context there. Um, and Musgrave, um, 
you know, what, what stands about him is that he's a very fast tight end prospect. He's he's going to fit that role as like a seam guy, as a field stretcher in the middle of the field. Um, and then where, where you look at Tucker Kraft, he's more of that inline guy. And Kraft was actually very good value for them in the third round because he was much better than some of the tight ends that went above him in the second round. Like there were some, there were some draft picks in this draft, like late date, late in the second round and the third round that made absolutely no sense to me. So the fact that they got Tucker Kraft in the third round was actually, actually pretty good value for them. Jaden Reed though is a, probably a little bit early. This is a wide receiver class that that was very polarizing. So there are a lot of guys that went earlier than I thought they would. There were a lot of guys that went later than I thought they would. Jaden Reed, I think is solid, but I, I kind of agree with you where I don't, I don't think opposing teams are going to be necessarily afraid of what he brings to the table. The Packers have a lot of young receivers now in that building. And so it's going to be interesting to see whether they're able to put it all together early on to help support Jordan Love because they're going with a full-on youth move. There's like no veterans on this roster right now for the Packers' weapons. So they're they, all these rookies are going to play for them. It's just a matter of, you know, will they be productive or not? Um, I will say the Packers had the funniest draft pick of the entire – well, not – the funniest draft pick. There were some. There were some funny draft picks uh, besides besides this one from other teams. But the Packers had one of the funniest draft picks. Sean Clifford in the fifth round, like that is a joke of a pick. They they just lit a fifth round pick on fire with that one because I've watched Sean Clifford for a long time at Penn State. That guy is not an NFL quarterback. I don't care what you tell me. No disrespect to him. I, I hope he does well. Um, well, I'm wishing him the best. I guess best of luck, but. At no point watching a Penn State that I say, yeah, that's a guy that I think can make it on a practice squad, let alone an NFL team. So the take him in the fifth round when I had an undrafted grade on him was absolutely hilarious. Um, but they, I do think they got some good value on day three of the pit of the draft as well. Like Carl Brooks, a lot of people really liked him as a prospect. I was, I, I was met on the guy, but to get him in the sixth round is good value. And then Anthony Johnson, a DB that I was actually kind of high on. Um, a safety prospect who's kind of like a safety nickel type of guy out of Iowa State. I actually like that pick a lot on day three. So got some good value, some points in the draft. But overall, I, I'm not sure I love this draft overall for the Packers. It felt like a very stereotypical Packers draft, like I said before. So you said, how would you grade this draft for the Packers? It's like I said, I'd give them a D simply because at the top where they did have a lot of extra flexibility when it came to adding draft capital and adding players, it's hard to say whether or not they did a really good job. I mean, that first round pick, Lucas Van Ness, again, I mentioned this to you moments ago. I'm going to say it again. Projections for him were all over the place. He was going from, you know, first round pick because of his traits to being a mid to late second round guy. So I just don't know how you can kind of justify picking a guy like that when knowing there were far greater needs on the roster that needed to be addressed and if you want my personal opinion like and I had said this consistently that it would have made more sense for Green Bay in the first round to go offensive tackle simply because they have had to reshuffle that offensive line a handful of times over the last two years David Bakhtiari again is a fan favorite one of the major building blocks from the Aaron Rodgers era but again he's been down and injured the last two years basically dealing with knee injuries so it's time to start thinking about moving on from him and this first round was really the perfect opportunity to land another offensive tackle to help build around guys like 
Eggleton Jenkins, but again, it just didn't happen. So in my opinion, I mean, when they had the opportunity to add talent, they completely botched it. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Yeah, it's interesting because the Packers, this is like one of the first drafts in a while where they didn't take an offensive lineman. That's usually something they do, you know, basically every year is they draft an offensive lineman. So the fact they didn't take a single offensive line was very surprising to me. Usually that's a position that they always try to address in the draft. Um, instead, they went with other directions in this one. Um, I'll I'll say this. This is, a, this is the beauty of the NFL draft, right, where a lot of guys, a lot of analysts will look at the same drafts and have different opinions on them and, and different takes. And a lot of this, I think, how you view the Packers draft is going to depend on how you view the Lucas Van Ness pick for them. I, I I see why they made the selection. They still do have a need to edge rusher long-term. So I'm going to give this draft a B- minus for the Packers. I'm a little bit higher on this draft than you are. Um, I do think they made some good picks on day two of the draft. While I, I, I just I laughed out loud at the uh, Sean Clifford pick on day three, I do think they got some pretty good value on some guys there. They, they took some flyers that I really like for them. And Van Ness, he's not going to be productive, I think, early on. But it wouldn't surprise me if in 2024, 2025, you know, he starts to put it all together. And I I see the vision where there's a world where, um, you know, the Packers have one of the more um, dominant pass rushing edge duos in the NFL with him and Rashawn Gary, who are both hyper athletic players. power rushers so that could be something that i think the packers are are trying to add there so um they got some pass catchers they added some talent there you know are they all gonna hit are they all gonna make an impact right away i don't think so this is a again like i said this is a draft where the packers are thinking a couple years down the road here i don't think they expect these guys to be impact guys right away they're gonna play right away but i i think it's gonna take some time for these guys to really come into their own so for that reason alone, I think with this being a transition year for the Packers, um, I I, I kind of get it from that point. So I'll I'll give it a B minus for now for me. So let's move on to the Vikings here, who had the smallest draft out of any any of the any of the classes for the NFC North. Here they had six picks in all, um, and this draft was like the anti Bears draft, where the Bears went after a lot of hyper athletes. The 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 Vikings had one of the least athletic draft classes in the entire NFL this year. So I'll go over the picks right now. Um, they only had uh, two picks in the first three rounds because of the TJ Hawkinson trade and a couple of other trades that they made um, last year during the, during the course of the season. But in the first round, uh, Jordan Addison, wide receiver out of USC, one of the more polished guys in this draft class. And then the third round, they doubled down on USC picks, actually, with Mikai Blackman, cornerback out of USC. And then on day three, they had a fourth-round pick, two fifth-round picks, and a seventh-round picks. In the fourth round, Jay Ward, safety out of LSU. 
Jacqueline Roy to put the tackle out of LSU in the fifth round. So again, they doubling down on schools here. Um, and then in the fifth round, Jaron Hall, quarterback out of BYU. And then the seventh round, Dwayne McBride, running back out of Alabama, Birmingham, small school prospect there. Um, so you say, what are your thoughts on the strap for the Vikings? This was quite frankly about as Minnesota Vikings as it could get. I mean, you and I have been on this podcast the last couple of years and we absolutely trash former Vikings GM Rick Spielman for the way that he approached a draft. And guess what? I mean, it's no different with Kwesi Adolfo Mensa because this is where, again, Kwesi's gained this reputation across the league for being a numbers guru and not necessarily a football guru. He loves to mess around with the analytics side of things, which again is completely fine because you have to incorporate analytics into anything and everything that you're doing. But it's also football first, in my opinion. And again, Kwesi kind of comes from that Cleveland Browns organization where the thought process is very much let's emphasize analytics over the product that is on the field Jordan Addison as a wide receiver I mean polarizing prospect because this was not a very good year for wide receivers Jordan Addison a guy that they believe can come in and be that compliment number two to a guy like Justin Jefferson which Again, it's completely fine because as long as you have Justin Jefferson, your earlier attack is going to be good. But they are really thinking big time here with Jordan Addison in terms of what he's able to do with Justin Jefferson. Makai Blackman, again, a cornerback, you know, they need secondary depth bad there in the third round. That's a solid pickup, but it's not one that, you know, absolutely is going to blow you away by any means. Again, Blackman's the type of player where... You either see him starting or he ends up being a special teamer slash rotational guy. There's just no in-between role for him. Looking at the two LSU guys, I mean, Jay Ward, Jacqueline Roy. Now, Roy, the defensive tackle, is a guy that I had as a potential hidden gem. So the possibility of him popping off there certainly could happen. Jay Ward, again, just more secondary depth. And looking at Jaron Hall and Dwayne McBride, I mean, that for me is all about just, hey, we have two draft picks. Let's go ahead and just figure out what we can do. For me, what the Vikings have to do with this draft is this. is I think there's only real one surefire starter and building block, which is Jordan Addison. The rest of these guys are all just complete toss-ups. I mean, you look at the mass amount of trading that was taking place. It's not really something where you know, you necessarily even feel like comfortable with knowing that they're just trading picks to trade away at this point. There's no rationale behind it. I will say though, and I know we don't really discuss undrafted free agents. The Vikings did sign Andre Carter, the second, the outside linebacker from army who, again, he's a player where, you know, people are high on him. So Andre Carter is a hidden gem to watch in terms of how he could pop off. Cause he very much is like Lucas Van Ness in the sense that, you know, really good athlete has all the tools and traits, but just unfortunately hasn't necessarily put it together yet. And is really, you're just banking on potential at that point. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah, Carter's interesting because like so he, he played at Army. So his body is just not fit to it's it's not like he hasn't prepared his body to be able to transition to the NFL and play right away. Like he's a multi-year project because you know he he he's had to have his body ready for the army where it's all conditioning. He's not really putting on a lot of muscle mass to prepare for the NFL. That was never his type of thing. So now he's in a position where he's going to be training full time to be an NFL player. So I wonder if that's going to be a full on body transformation for him, for him where he's going to be more ready to take on the rigors of the NFL because you watch his tape, like he's a very exciting player to watch. And if we're just going off of what he did from a production standpoint, he's probably a day two pick in this draft class, but the, the body does like the fact that he's so rail thin and, you know, he, he doesn't have the explosiveness from a testing standpoint because he just hasn't trained like that going, going back to, you know, how he had the training at army. Um, so he is all just, you're just taking a swing on a guy and seeing if he can hit, but in terms of the draft picks for the Vikings here, um, I, I was actually very surprised the Vikings were not more aggressive at trying to trade down and add more draft picks in this draft because this is something we saw Quezzy, their new GM, do uh, last year and last year's draft where they traded down quite a bit last year um, and they accumulated a lot of draft picks. This year, they did not trade down a lot. Um, and really, this this entire Quezzy regime for the Vikings has been very confusing. I don't know what direction they're going in as a franchise. It seems like they're trying to decide whether they want to compete for a championship with the guys that they have in this window. And there's still this, and on the flip side of that, they're trying to at the same time decide whether they want to tear it down and rebuild this roster and, you know, retool this thing with with a new core to build around here. I, I, I just don't know what they're doing here. But in the first round, Jordan Addison, I, I like the fit next to uh, what they have in Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson being one of the elite wide receivers in the game. I think Jordan Addison, he was never going to be a number one guy because of his size profile. He's not, you know, the elite athlete, but he's just a very solid route runner has solid hands, knows how to get open. Um, and I, I just think his, him being a compliment to uh, Justin Jefferson is going to be a really nice fit. Now there is a little bit of an outlier factor to Addison and that, you know, not many wide receivers with his physical profile and athletic profile have been successful at the NFL level. So that's something to keep an eye out for. But when I watched him play, I saw a guy who just understood how to play the wide receiver position. So I think, I think he'll be just fine. And then on day you later on the draft, you get Makai Blackman out cornerback out of USC, a very raw player. It's it's worth noting that the Vikings are transitioning to a new defensive coordinator with Brian Flores. So a lot more man coverage. They're not going to be doing a lot of the soft zone stuff that they did last year. So it's definitely a new look defense for them. Makai Blackman kind of fits more of that bump and run man coverage that they want to do under Brian Flores, but he's got a ways to go. I'm not sure if I really liked him that much as a prospect. Jay Ward, safety out of LSU, same thing. I'm not, he wasn't a guy I was particularly high on, um, but as a day three pick, it's probably fine. Um, Jacqueline Roy, defensive tackle out of LSU, um, solid player. I, I think he'll be a contributor at the next level. I'm not sure if I love him very much. Um, and then the same goes for Jaron Hall, where I'm just they're, they're taking a they're banking on physical upside with him, but whether he's going to turn into anything, I'm not sure. 
But the pick that I really like for the Vikings here, which they got all the way to the seventh round, which I was just, I was floored when he made it all the way here because he was one of my top five running backs in this year's draft class. Dwayne McBride out of Alabama, Birmingham, uh, UAB. You know, he is, he has an argument besides, you know, uh, B. John Robinson, obviously, there's an argument to be made that he is the best pure runner in this draft class. He's got a great combination of speed, explosiveness, power, tackle breaking ability, and vision. And I'm just, I know he doesn't have a lot of third down value, if any at all, but as a pure runner, I thought he'd go higher than all the way in the seventh round. So that was a bona fide steal for me, um, getting him that late in the draft. I think with Dalvin Cook's situation, him being, you know, it's possible that he may release Dalvin Cook before the start of training camp. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be a full-time replacement for Dalvin Cook, but in the short term, he's a guy that can contribute in a rotational role on early downs and be a really productive player for them. So I actually like that that pick a lot. I think they're going to get a lot of value out of that. Um, so overall, you say, how would you grade this draft for the Vikings? Pretty consistent with my other ones. The rest of the NFC North, give it a C. Um, again, it's it's – it's interesting because you have Jordan Addison there and then the draft class kind of goes like, Hey, who exactly is this person? Like what's that guy's name? You know, this is going to be the one where the casual fans are going to show up and think that some guy like Makai Blackman was actually a veteran that they signed this off season. So it, it, it's just a draft where, you know, I think it's completely wasted because there's so much more potential to do better, but you are right. I mean, with a guy like, Dwayne McBride, he is going to be a pretty solid rotational back. Now, can he work his way into something more? Yeah, absolutely. But we'll see how things go. Yeah, for me, I'm going to give them a C as well. There's just, it's one of those drafts where it doesn't get me very excited. I felt like they could have done a lot more to maximize getting as many picks as possible. You know, they, they addressed needs that they needed to. Again, with the picks that they had, it's really tough to say that they should have picked certain positions because, you know, ultimately when you have most of your draft being day three picks at that point in your draft, you should just be picking best player available and see if you can get anybody that can come in and contribute. But I, I like the fact that they got, you know, Addison's going to be a day one starter for a wide receiver, a number two guy in that offense. I think McBride's going to be a guy that contributes right away. I think Jack and Roy given how weak they are in the interior of that defensive line. He's going to be a guy that can contribute right away, but I'm not sure how good he's going to be necessarily. And you'd certainly hope that Makai Blackman can get on the field, given the fact that the Vikings have one of the worst cornerback rooms in all football right now. So that's going to be an interesting thing to follow as well. But I, I don't love this for the Vikings, uh, but I don't hate it either. Just one of those where I, I'm just, it's one of those drafts where I'm not sure what to make of it. So it's an okay draft. They did some th- fine things from a process standpoint, but overall it's one that kind of leaves me underwhelmed. So in, in regards to the drafts that we've gone over here, I can firmly say that for me, the bears had the best drafts out of all of these teams in the NFC North. Um, and after that, I think the Packers had the second best draft. And then for me, the Vikings, and then the lions, uh, you say, what order would you put them in for you? You know, pretty similar. I mean, you're looking at the Bears having just the best overall draft in terms of talent that was added to the roster because 
guys like Darnell Wright, Tyreek Stevenson, and Roshan Johnson should theoretically be day one starters. The two defensive tackles, Zach Pick and Shervon Dexter, you don't really know what you're going to get out of them. Both of those guys are more so project players that the Bears are going to be using a rotation on the defensive line. And then you look at when it comes to the second and third teams in this division. I mean, I think it's a complete toss-up between Detroit and Green Bay. You could tie them for second and third. Those classes could go either way. A lot of boom or bust potential there. And then the Vikings are just at the absolute bottom because there was a lot more potential to do better. But Kwesi kind of squandered it just consistently trading back and not necessarily even adding athletes. Yeah, certainly a lot of different strategies being taken for all these teams, which is one of the things I always appreciate when it comes to the draft is how do teams approach the draft? What is their process? And ultimately when we look back at these drafts in a few years, who's going to be end up, who's going to end up being successful, you know, only time will tell. But those are our thoughts on the rest of the NFC North in terms of the draft. I think we're probably, we'll see what we have planned in store for the next few weeks, but um, we're probably going to do one more episode on the 2023 NFL draft before we switch gears and talk more about um, some 2024 NFL draft topics, Uh, maybe get into previewing some prospects there, previewing some Bears storylines as we get into OTAs and whatnot. But until next time, Bears fans, uh, make sure to give us a follow on all social media platforms and make sure to give us a like and rate and subscribe on all uh, podcasting platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get our podcasts here for Picks for Polls and the Bear Report. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Polls. Um, you say where can our listeners find your work and follow you on social media. Yeah, guys, you can follow me on social media at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report website. I will have a list of or a set of articles out throughout the summer breaking down prospects who can possibly break out for the Bears in 2023. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to follow. You can, and then for all you listeners out there, you can follow me on social media um, at AJ Freeman 25. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. Um, hoping to get some 2024 NFL draft stuff out there during the summer and some other stories out there during the summer as well as we kind of enter that dead part of the NFL offseason. But until next week, Bears fans, have yourself a great and safe weekend and bear down. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.